I'm sure we've all seen the symbol of the three balls that represent a pawn shop. Pawn shops are places where people take goods and they get cash in return for these goods. And then at some point in the future, they go back and pay some money to the pawn shop owner plus some interest and redeem their goods again. This word redeem, it means to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment. We've all heard the phrase that God is our Redeemer. It's one of these theological terms that we use but perhaps don't fully understand. What does it mean to redeem? In this series, this series that we're having on a Sunday evening, we'll be looking at the complete sweep in the scripture of God's plan for the world from Genesis to Revelation. And we want to look and see how we fit into God's plan. In other words, we want to determine what our mission is. And so today we'll journey through both the Old and the New Testament as we follow God's dealings with his redeemed people and find out more about redemption means and to further work out what God's mission for us is. We first come across the idea of redemption in the Bible at the time of the Exodus. God promised to redeem his people from slavery and oppression in Egypt. He started by reminding Moses that he had promised his ancestor Abraham that he would make his descendants into a great nation, a nation that he had chosen for a special purpose, and that purpose was to tell the world about him and bring them back to him. In other words, to redeem them. At the time of the Exodus, he was starting out in the next stage of that plan. He was going to rescue his people from slavery. Listen to what he said to Moses. Say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. As we know, God won victory over the Egyptian slavery and did set the people free. And as God's redeemed people, they were now to use that freedom in order to bring blessing to all the nations of the world. Those who had been redeemed by God were redeemed for a purpose and are called to live in a special way. They have a mission to fulfil God's plan. We started a few weeks ago when we learned that God's priority for Israel was holiness and Andrew spoke about that a couple of weeks ago. God's people are to be holy people, a set-apart people. They are to have a mission to reflect the holy character of God in all that they do. Today we're going to take this further. God's people are to reflect God the Redeemer in the way that they behave towards others. We start after the Exodus in the desert at Sinai where God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments and many, many other rules. Here God started to teach and prepare his people for the next steps in his plan to redeem the world. 
And all the way through the Old Testament books of Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, you'll find these detailed rules about how they should treat each other, how they are to behave towards their family, their neighbours, their workers, and also to foreigners that they encountered. These Old Testament laws called for slave release, generosity to the poor and to vulnerable people and to foreigners. These laws were intended to remind them that those who knew what it meant to be in slavery and have now been redeemed must show the same kind of compassion to others. Listen to these words of instructions from Deuteronomy. Most people wouldn't associate this type of language with the Old Testament. But in Deuteronomy it says, If anyone is poor among you, in any of your towns of the land that the Lord has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. They will always be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards those of your people who are poor and needy in your land. So the people of Israel were not just to remember the Exodus, but they were also to live as the people whom God had rescued and redeemed. They were to live as God's redeemed people in a world that does not know God. This mission of God's people is wide. It is to live as those who have experienced the redeeming power of God and whose lives, both as individuals and as a nation, are to be signposts in God's plan leading to the ultimate liberation of all creation and humanity from every effect of oppression and slavery. We know the people of Israel, when they entered into the Promised Land, did not always deal justly with their families, with their neighbours, and certainly not with the foreigners. They forgot that they were God's redeemed people and often ignored these instructions. And time after time, God had to remind them of God's promises and their obligations. He often did this through the Old Testament prophets. For example, at the time of Micah, God's people were not living properly. They had not lived up to that special covenant agreement that they had earlier made with God. That agreement that had really two main parts to it. They were to worship God as the only true God. And they were to treat other people respectfully and justly. They violated both of these features of the covenant. They neglected true worship of the one and only God and worshipped the gods of the people around them. And they treated each other very badly indeed. In the time of Micah, they had substituted just religious activity for sincere worship. Their worship became mechanistic. It was left as something for the priests to do on their behalf, without any real involvement of themselves and without any personal emotion. They thought they could pacify God with their religious activities and sacrifices. They thought all was well if they went through the motions of worship, even if it was not done in a sincere manner. The places of worship were full. People were offering sacrifices, but that was not what God wanted. Micah was saying that true worship of God and living properly, living justly with people was more important than just going through a ritual. Here is how Micah describes it. 
With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and walk humbly with your God. The prophet Amos, who also lived in a different part of the country but at the same time as Micah, proclaimed God's reaction to all that he had seen. Amos says, using God's words, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring me choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. The people would discover that God can't be bought off by that type of worship. They found themselves being judged and condemned by an angry God. What about us? It's good that we meet here today for worship. It is right that we do that. But do we always come with the right motives? Is it purely a religious activity that we do out of habit? Or does our motivation to be here originate from our day-to-day relationship with God and our desire to be with God's people? Do we come with clean hearts? having lived in a right way with our friends, our neighbours and our colleagues. And it's this last aspect of worship, a relationship with our fellow beings, that's addressed by Micah with the instruction from God that the people are to act justly, to love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Micah is saying that a relationship with God must be reflected in our relationships with others. In his day, there was corruption at all levels of society. The leaders were corrupt, the judges were corrupt. All were exploiting the poor. The poor were being defrauded by the rich merchants who were giving short measure and selling them inferior products. Some things don't change, do they? They were worshipping, but at the same time, they were being dishonest. That was a problem at the time of Micah, and it's still a problem for us today. People have a great capacity to be hypocritical. As Christians, we must at all costs avoid hypocrisy. Our internal, our our personal lives should match up with our public appearance. There should be an authenticity, integrity in our lives. And this must also be true of our church practices, as well as our activities in our homes, our towns, our office, our school, our community. Someone who was writing on this passage tells the story of a businessman in his office making several telephone calls. Here's the first call. Not safe? Well, send them to Taiwan. They don't bother with safety regulations there. Second phone call. No problem. They won't see the problems in the small print. Telephone now call number three. Quality's not an issue, as long as they keep going until they pay for them. Telephone call four to his secretary. He says, please phone my wife. 
and remind her that it's a prayer meeting and Bible study at our house this evening. This example speaks powerfully of the type of thing that Micra was condemning and what God hated. They were not acting as God's redeemed people and therefore not fulfilling their permission, their mission to demonstrate the character of God to those who did not know him. The same story comes again and again in the New Testament. We see God's redeeming plan coming to fruition in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Remember when Jesus started his ministry? Listen to the words of what is called his manifesto as he started his ministry. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoner, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And Jesus went on throughout his ministry, preaching and teaching that we must live justly with everything, everyone we encounter. So, for instance, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus continues to warn us about being hypocritical and not having concern for others. As Christians, we should always be on the side of justice. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, as he gives us the Lord's Prayer, he reminds us that we should forgive others because we have been forgiven. If we go on to other passages, like on the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus met Moses and Elijah, I think there's a clear reference to the Exodus and to redemption there. There, they were um, Scripture tells us, they were talking about his Exodus that he intended to fulfil in Jerusalem. Sometimes, in our English versions, that word Exodus is translated as his departure or an exit. But I don't think Moses and Elijah were talking about that. They were saying that the planned death of Jesus that was coming would be a great act of redemption, just as the Exodus was. God in Christ would pay the cost of delivering the whole of creation from the bondage of sin and evil, leading his people out of darkness, the darkness of captivity, into the light and liberty of God. He was going to redeem them. And as we move on even further in the New Testament, at the Lord's Supper, uh, at that time, that feast there, that meal, they were remembering the Exodus. And Jesus told them that there would be a new Exodus, a new covenant. We move on to the cross. God was prepared to do whatever it would take, whatever it would cost, to redeem his people. And at the cross, God won a greater victory than even over the oppression of Egypt. He defeated evil, sin and death. That was God's victory over all that opposed him. Everything that enslaves his creation. And just as the Exodus was God's great defeat of the usurped claims of Pharaoh, so the cross was God's victory over all evil. Later, Paul reflects on this and sums it up by saying, For God has rescued us from the dominions of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. 
The redemptive work of God through the cross of Christ is good news for every area of life on earth that has been touched by sin. And that means every area of life. By God's incredible grace, we have a gospel big enough to redeem all that sin and evil have touched. Now as God's redeemed people, we are to enact justice in our society today. The New Testament writers pointed the way that we should do this. Here are some of their instructions. They tell us the motivation that we should have as we live and interact with people. And it should be the same as God himself, his character that we see reflected in Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, be merciful. How are we to be merciful? Just as your father is merciful. John tells us to love one another. How are we to love one another? As I have loved you. Paul writes in Ephesians, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. How? Just as in Christ God forgave you. And in Romans he says, accept one another then. How are we to accept one another? Just as Christ accepted you. I came across a good example of this behaviour in the life of John Wesley. We think of him as a great gospel preacher, travelling around the country, preaching to thousands in the open air. Some time ago I read one of his biographies that shows a different side of his character and work. It tells of a time when he visited Cornwall in the winter time. There had been a severe frost for weeks and the farm workers could not work the land. That meant in those days they were not paid. When Wesley arrived, he did not start preaching, but instead organised a collection from the tin miners who worked underground and were therefore not affected by the weather. With this money, he was able to feed the farm workers. Then he preached the gospel. First he showed mercy and kindness and love to the people in need. I think he got things right on that occasion. Wesley, by his actions, was reflecting the character of God, who is a just God. And we're never more like God than when we deal justly with others. How are we to work out this in our lives as God's redeemed people here in Isla? When we see injustice, equality and poverty, it should concern us. These things do not reflect God's character, and our mission is to bring God's redemptive work to restore his kingdom here on earth. There are times when we must stand up and oppose unjust laws. We need courage as Christians to do so, and we need grace to do it in the right manner. We should support those who are abused, even those who abuse themselves. We must support those who are struggling financially. There are many ways we can do this, including supporting our Isla Food Bank. There's an organisation called Christians Against Poverty who help people who are in debt and help them clear their debt and manage their finances. We can support them. We've recently had input from International Justice Mission. They have many suggestions 
how we can help them to improve the treatment of people around the world. There are many other ways to act as God's redeemed people, and that is what we must work out in our day-to-day lives. As we read scripture, as the Holy Spirit prompts us, we must act as the people of God, God's redeemed people, and share his message and act in a way as God, our Redeemer, has acted towards us. May God give us grace to do so. Amen.